The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you, uh, almost every week anyway, that I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, uh, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen selling? And Chen will uh, be a guest on my show here in about 10 minutes or 12 minutes or so. Uh, he will be here to talk about some of his favorite picks and uh, also what he thinks is going on in the gold market. I should also mention to you that uh, this is the time now, if you've put your name on the waiting list, uh, to sign up for Chen's newsletter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? You can go to miningstocks.com to sign up for Chen Lin's letter, or you can call my assistant in New York, Claudio Bossi. His number is 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. I should also like to remind you that the best place to go to uh, follow everything that I do is J Taylor Media. That's J-A-Y Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, media.com. You can sign up for my newsletter. You can access this radio show. Sign up for Chen's letter. Really follow everything that I'm involved with at jtaylormedia.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at jtaylormedia. Uh, that is my handle there on Twitter. We do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. We also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today are Blue Goldwaters Technologies, Prophecy Platinum, Balmoral Resources, Golden Arrow Resources, and SGX Resources. Also, like to mention that uh, you, those of you who find uh, enjoyment in listening to this show, might also want to consider listening to my friend Al Corlin's show. That is at uh, the KE Report, or it's just KE Report, www.kereport.com. Al updates his show every weekend, and it's a very interesting show. Sometimes I'm a guest there, uh, but there's a lot of other very interesting people who Al Corlin talks to. And a roundtable discussion many times is one of the most popular uh, features of Al's show. I want to encourage you to keep your questions coming to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor 
at gmail.com. And uh, I just want to go over a couple of the uh, responses that I've gotten. I am getting a lot of responses now that I've invited you to, uh, to respond. Uh, I've asked the question of whether or not you'd like to have me spend more time or less time on sort of philosophic, economic, geopolitical uh, issues and more time on concrete ways that you can make money. I mean, uh, what use is the show if, uh, if it doesn't help you uh, feed your family and, and survive this very tough environment? Well, uh, so far, the answers that have come back have been very much uh, weighted in favor of, uh, of, of keeping on the same format. For example, listener Mike said, your question regarding whether you should provide more investment advice or geopolitical, my vote is more current affairs and geopolitical. I love your show. Another writer, uh, another listener wrote, he says, uh, how many times have we seen over the decade, he says, I'm older, where investors have lost their shirts because some because of some sudden decision that was made by a foreign government or so-called unforeseen incidents occurred that were negative to the investment uh, and all the capital evaporated. We simply must know what field we play the game on, which uniforms are which, what the rules are, and how likely the officials have rigged the game. Otherwise, we're relegated to a very small windowless room pouring over increasingly irrelevant charts as a method of capital navigation. So keep it up. The more you do with this, uh, the overall better frame of reference we listeners have, and the safer we'll be as we try to protect and expand our investment capital. We really very badly need a weather forecast out there, and you are most helpful with that crucial service. As one Internet pundit wrote, quote, partly cloudy this morning with an occasional drone in the afternoon, end of quote. Thanks for all you do. And another listener, Richard, wrote, he says, I think you are doing a great job the way it is now. Congratulations on having Andy Hoffman on your show and for playing Ann Bernhardt interview. It is critically important that people get to hear what those people have to say. A suggestion, though, is that you might want to refer in your monologue uh, to the time, not to the time of the show, but the segment of the show or the hour of the show that you're various guests uh, appear on. Well, thank you very much, Richard, for that suggestion. That's what I'll try to do today as I describe today's show uh, as we, uh, as we uh, proceed here today. Um, now, uh, lest you think that I am responding only to positive comments, I did receive this uh, one comment that was taking me to task for my deflationary views that I have expressed uh, in a piece that I wrote for my subscribers last weekend and which appeared uh, on the Kitco uh, website today. He says, and I quote, You cannot be serious when you say that Prechter has been right on the market. He has been calling for a correction since about 2010. He has been abysmal. No, beyond abysmal. It is a wonder that he has a following or any paying customers at all. I'm astonished at your comments about him in your piece posted on Kitco today, October 1st, 2013. Uh, end of quote. Well, let me respond to that. Uh, thank you. I uh, want to say thank you for that critical uh, response or that p- critical uh, uh, email. But uh, I don't think you're right about that, uh, dear listener. I think it actually, uh, Mr. Prechter, at about the bottom of the uh, March of 2009 or so, he actually went out and put in a long-term 
uh, or a, a medium-term buy recommendation, and he was just about as right as you could be. I was amazed when I heard him here in New York on Bloomberg with Tom Keene suggesting that uh, investors should take a, a long position in the stocks, and it was pretty much uh, just about as, uh, as much at the bottom as one could have been. Now, with respect to the gold markets, I don't think that uh, Prechter has been uh, particularly good. I, I don't believe that I share his views on gold at all. Uh, but even even on gold, when I had Prechter on this show, uh, Robert uh, agreed that gold would go down relative uh, less relative to everything else except the dollar. Of course, that I think is the big contention and the big difference between the deflationist and the inflationist. We've had uh, economist John Williams on this show who believes beyond any doubt that we are have it, heading inexorably towards a hyperinflation, a very, very serious hyperinflation. Um, and his main contention is what will trigger that will be a collapsing dollar. Well, I, I honestly don't know. I, I am really remaining very uh, agnostic on this whole issue of inflation, deflation. I do believe, though, beyond any doubt, that the natural inclination of the markets is a massive deflationary decline. And indeed, I think that's what Ben Bernanke sees. I think he also understands that's the natural inclination of the market. The problem is that Bernanke doesn't understand that we'd be much better off in the long run if we left the markets uh, go where the markets need to go. Now, a very interesting article I found uh, from Richard Russell in yesterday's, uh, in yesterday's newsletter. Richard writes daily. This is a remarkable uh, market genius, as far as I'm concerned, Richard Russell. He wrote uh, yesterday, and I quote, this site will be about the Dow formation uh, that we see below. And he provides a chart that shows a megaphone formation uh, or the very broadening formation. And uh, Dr. Robert McHugh, who we've had on the show and I expect we'll have again very soon, is, has been warning about this. Uh, this megaphone formation, it's a long-term top uh, and it is a most frightening formation if you go back and look at history. Uh, the formation consists, as Russell describes, uh, five waves, three up and two corrective waves to the downside. The broadening formation, and I'm reading from Richard Russell here, he says, the broadening formation is indicative of a market in turmoil with sentiment swinging wildly from one way to the other. Incredibly, the broadening formation has appeared in every major bear market since 1929. It appeared prior to World War II in 1929. It appeared in 1957, 1965-66. We saw a broadening top in 1987 and again in 1998 to 2000. The most recent broadening formation we saw was in 2004-2008. I have long, this is Richard Russell continuing here, he says, I have long speculated about the sentiment basis of broadening formations. Each broadening formation is made up of three rising waves, two corrective waves. As far as sentiment is concerned, I believe broadening formations are the result of wildly swinging reversals in sentiment from bearish to bullish, and then bearish, and finally a huge swing back to the extreme bullishness. This final wave of optimism is the market's kiss of death, since the final rising wave takes stocks far above known values. Russell continues by saying, the current broadening formation is unique in that it is by far the largest broadening formation that I have ever seen. Note that wave D to E has not yet touched the upper trend lines. Frankly, I don't know whether it is necessary for the Dow to make contact with the upper trend line in order to complete the formation. The Dow is, if the Dow is to touch the upper trend lines of the formation, the Dow uh, will have to advance to at least 16,000, which would be an all-time high. 
Um, and, and he continues on. I think this is just extremely interesting and I think very, very important information. Uh, the, the Dow Theory Report, Richard Russell, I would encourage you to sign up for Richard Russell's newsletter. He's in his late 80s, but he's just a remarkable market, uh, uh, market analyst. And he brings with him this huge amount of experience that he has. Uh, and uh, towards the end of the article that he wrote yesterday, his, his website or his site yesterday, uh, he poses the question. He says, how do, you, how do you think we should prepare for these massive changes that you foresee? And he answers his own question by saying, I'm really not sure, but my first response is that we must abolish greed and become spiritual. Currently, it seems to me that the emphasis is on profit, growth at any price, power, greed, and wealth. Well, that's uh, what Richard is, is uh, sending a warning, and I think this is a very wise warning from a man who's been around a long time, uh, who's been very successful as a market practitioner, but who has certainly uh, had his ups and downs through life, a remarkable human being, and I think it pays, uh, it pays to, uh, it is smart to pay attention to a man uh, with this kind of wisdom. Well, we do have to talk about today's show. Uh, I have titled today's show, No Tapering, and You Can Bank on It. Gene Epstein, Alistair McLeod, Daniel McAdams, and Chen Lin uh, will all be returning as guests. Chen will be with me in just a few minutes after we go to break, our first break, and he's going to be talking to me about uh, some very interesting stocks that he's picked, one in particular in the pharmaceutical area, the healthcare area that has done extremely well, uh, but he has some other very interesting ideas to pass along to you as well. Halfway through the first hour, uh, Alistair McLeod will be with me to explain why there is absolutely no way, no way on God's little green earth that we are going to see a, uh, a tapering of the purchases of bonds by the Federal Reserve Bank. And, of course, the market was thrown for a loop. Actually, it actually loved it when it found out it was going to get more of its heroin, heroin um, uh, ad- addiction is going to be fed a little bit more when Mr. Bernanke said there was no tapering. Uh, gold went up uh, strongly, as did almost everything else. The stocks, everything went up on that news that we got more of the narcotic, uh, the monetary narcotic flowing our way. At the start of the second hour, Gene Epstein, who wrote the cover story for Barron's last weekend, well, he'll be with me to talk about the huge budget and economic problems that we face in America. And uh, Gene will also talk about David Stockman, who will be uh, the New York City Junto guest this uh, coming Thursday. Uh, David Stockman, of course, has been on this show. And love David Stockman's remarks today on Bloomberg with Thomas Keene, in which he, he really said all of this talk about the budget shutdown is a scare tactic by Democrats. Um, and, and really uh, not anything to be very concerned about at all. Uh, well, that may or may not be true, but that certainly was Stockman's viewpoint, and he's hanging in there uh, with uh, with the views that pretty much are my views with respect to what government ought to be. Of course, what it ought to be and what it is is two different, definitely two different things most of the time. Well, about halfway through the second hour, Daniel McAdams, uh, who heads up Ron Paul's Peace and Prosperity Institute, will be with me to talk about the military's contribution to our budget deficits and also about what apparently has been now a false flag of propaganda that was apparently waved in our direction, and this has to do with the poisonous gas uh, in, uh, in Syria, uh, to get Americans uh, to uh, get behind our military as we go uh, into other countries, uh, killing and, and uh, wounding 
uh, countless tens of thousands of, of people for the sake of profit for our large, uh, what would you say, our corporate, our fascist corporate state. I don't have any other way of describing what we are all about now in America. Not we the people. I'm talking about the people behind the throne, the powers behind the throne, the people that really tell Mr. Obama what he must do if he wants to remain president. I like to say I think the last president that we had that thought he really was the president was probably John Kennedy. And, uh, well, he never really learned that he wasn't uh, unless he's uh, come to that conclusion in the hereafter. But whatever uh, the story is, if anybody believes that the President of the United States is the President of the United States, then I have a bridge in Brooklyn to sell them. Well, my engineer is telling me it is time for the first break, and when we come back, I am going to be with my good friend and partner, Chen Lin. So don't go away. If you want to hear about some good ideas, uh, investment ideas, Chen Lin will be with me right after the break. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Some things never go out of style. In the gold business, for over 100 years, high-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at balmoralresources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol B-A-L-M-F and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol B-A-R. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have with me uh, Chen Lin. He's back again today. We haven't been talking to Chen all that much. He's been, of course, Chen is always a very, very busy guy. He's traveling uh, sometimes quite a bit. He was in Beijing this summer uh, and uh, spending time with his family there. And uh, so, you know, Chen is very unique in the sense that he is an American. He lives here uh, and he has family in, in China and stays very much uh, in touch with his friends and his family in China in that way. I think he has as good a read as anybody does on what's going on in China. So really good to have you back again, Chen. Thanks for thanks for joining me. Thank you, Jay. Now, uh, 
Chen, gold took quite a hit today. I see it's selling at under thirteen hundred dollars again on the uh, on the near futures contract. It's selling at twelve ninety. What's going on with gold? Why do you think it got hit so hard? What's why the smackdown today? I feel like a short attack. Uh, yesterday they they closed the government shutdown, and the gold usually would go up, but didn't go up. And then the, you know when gold didn't go up, the shorts come on. You know tonight, last night, and this morning. And the hit go very heavily. Uh, also, coincidentally, right now uh, it's uh, October, early October. It's a long holiday in China, so starting October first, uh, for seven days, uh, Chinese will be on holiday. So there's a lot of Chinese traders who already cannot trade, not buy. So what I found was this year the um, the short attack seems to be close to those Chinese holiday, like Chinese New Year. Mm-hmm. The Chinese national holiday, national day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so all the traders, usually Chinese people, like to buy. Right? There's more buyer than seller. So, but they happen that those attacks happen to be in the holiday, so you cannot trade. <laughs> That's so. So absent the Chinese buyers, then uh, it's really a, uh, an opportunity for the shorts to uh, to make some money. I suppose the early shorts, anyway. Right, the shorts just hit as hard as they could, and we'll see. I mean, and then there's uh, some people maybe leverage. I mean, those uh, Chinese buyers, so they may, uh, uh, they may be forced. Uh, there may be some forced liquidation. I, I do not know, but uh, it seems to me uh, it's the correlation between the short attack and Chinese holiday uh, has been quite good in this. Mm-hmm. Did you mention also, Chen? I think when we were talking before the show started uh, earlier today, that there's uh, that the Indians have raised the taxes again, or on, on gold recently, imports. Yeah, recently Indian raised the tax on, on gold, so that's actually uh, also re- because they have a huge trade deficit. If their currency is going down very fast, so the government don't want to import too much gold, so they raise the tax on gold. I think for second time this year, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's reduced gold demand. India also a big gold consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, that's that's uh, that's an interesting perspective, certainly on gold, and I and I thank you for that. I guess silver probably goes along in sympathy with gold, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about a couple of your favorite picks, and you know, one that I think is really exciting. Um, and uh, it's and that's uh, Sarepta Therapeutics, SRPT uh, trades in the U.S. Uh, under that symbol, I believe. Uh, you recommended it around eight dollars going back some time ago, not that long ago. Selling at forty-seven dollars now. What can you tell our listeners about uh, SRPT, Sarepta Therapeutics, and do you think it still has upside from here? Yeah, this is it's one of my big winners in the past year. Uh, if you go to biotech uh, ranking, this is the number one biotech stock in the past year. I was very fortunate to involve uh, with this early on uh, because when I saw the internet video of the boy treated with their experimental drug, and they can I remember walking, walking, they start running. I realized this is a home run, and I was ahead of Wall Street. So, Chen, uh, Chen, I just want to interrupt you. I want to I want to remind our listeners that you told our listeners that some time ago. I remember having you on that very day. I think after you put out a missive to your to your subscribers. So this is something that our listeners heard before from Chen when the stock was selling around that eight eight dollar price, probably. Yeah, around that eight to ten dollar. I think it stayed uh-huh. there for a pretty long time until the results came out. 
But you know, we saw that we're in internet age. I saw the interview on ABC News. I saw those kid boy with their medicine instead of dying in a wheelchair, they can be running. So I know this is a good one. So you know, it was you know, it was uh, very profitable as well. So and then recently there has a big uh, explosion of the stock. Uh, that was uh, over a week ago. Um, I remember it was on Friday. I just came back from Turkey, so I haven't really got over my jet lag yet, so I got out really early. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw the news that uh, Glasgow Smith, uh, the drug, failed. So uh-huh. I, before that, I, I knew the, the story very, very well, so I kind of thought about, I discussed with friends all the different possibilities. This is probably the best possibility for Sarapta. But at that point, uh, there was a lot of people think, oh, Glasgow Smith failed, maybe Sarapta will fail. I just thought went down. <laughs> and then he says, it's just unbelievable. So I was uh, very lucky. I, I saw that. I was buying. I tell my subscriber to buy. I think the newsletter came in before 9 o'clock. And then the Wall Street upgrade didn't come in until after 11 o'clock. So actually, you have like two hours to buy it. That's what I'm 35, 34, and you can see the huge run uh, after that news. But, but uh, it's very funny that the initial response for the market was negative, which is, to me, you know, if you know the story for a while, you know, it's extremely positive news. Yeah, why, why do you think it was negative, Chen? What, what was going on there? Well, there do you think some... it was a matter of, of people buying the stock and selling on the news without looking at it? Well, the, the news came as a sudden. Okay, suddenly came the news. There's some colonists on Street.com say, oh, he was very bullish. You know, Adam Fustin, and he was very bullish on, on, the, on the drug. He thought, oh, maybe now we have some doubt. On so, you know, even he had some doubt. I think that's impact the market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I look at it and say, wow, this couldn't be better. This, this one, you know, I'm sorry for those kids on, on Glasgow Smith's trial. I'm very sorry mm-hmm. for them. Very painful drug, very very toxic, very high. They have been through all the pain and it didn't work. I'm sorry for that, but mm-hmm. it's great news for Serapica because their drug is just uh, it's completely different. Okay, it's, uh, the, the dosage is much higher, so it's it just, it, it, you know, the stock actually went worse you realize. It's good news. So, uh, so you know. put out your missive uh, right after this news came out. You sent out a an alert to your subscribers, and the market instead of going up goes down dramatically. But you had the uh, the courage of your convictions, and you stuck right with it, Chen. And you uh, and you made a lot of money. And any of your subscribers that that followed your advice also made a lot of money uh, in that stock. So uh, I I want to compliment you for your for your courage, and, and, and it's really based on a lot of hard work. You spent a lot of time researching this stock, as you do all the stocks that you pick, but especially the ones you really become enamored with. You really, you really dig into them hard and, and learn to know everything possible that you can learn about them before you put your, your own capital on the line and tell your subscribers about it. So kudos to you for that one, Sarepta Therapeutics SRPT. Do you think it still has a lot of upside? Yeah, it's one of the heavily shorted stock. Okay, on Nasdaq, biotech. Still is. Yeah, still is. So ah. uh, that I was, I was looking forward for the next short report and see if a short cover after this news. So because you know the the, the stock, the the, the proceeding, I mean, it's a long story. The, the story was, uh, it's old story. AVI Pharmaceutical, the management was very bad. Uh, so the stock went down for ten years. A lot of people lost money. Short part made money on that. They think they can make money again. It's just 
but it's new management, right? It's a uh, uh, did, did, did have to uh, complement the, the you know one of the large shareholders to change the management team. Mm-hmm. They went through all these pains. I talked to him and actually I compliment him. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a new game. So, but yeah. the shorts still stay <laughs> the, the, with the, the same thing that made money for them in the past, and so they keep even. Yeah. Well, well, okay. Well, that's that's a that's a great call, Chen. One other one I like you to comment on. We don't have much time left. We have a couple of minutes left. But Pan Orient has been one that has not been particularly a, a big winner for you, and yet you you continue to stick with it, just as you have a lot of these other stories. You know, people become impatient. They buy the stock. You you have you you provide the fundamental reasons for owning the stock, and it doesn't go anywhere, and it doesn't go anywhere for several months, and people say, ah, oh, well, maybe Chen doesn't really know what he's talking about this time. What about Pan Orient? What about that story, Pan? You still like it a lot. It hasn't been a particularly good performer. What do you see in Pan Orient? Yeah, I think we discussed it about uh, two weeks ago. In the past two weeks, it went up uh, more than 10, 15 percent. Uh, uh-huh. Well, it's it, it's still the story still remain the same. Uh, so it's uh, it, it's a company with a very strong balance sheet, and uh, they are drilling a very big giant target in in Thailand, Indonesia, and also in Canada. So uh, recently, there are some report uh, their neighbor actually found a very large well. Uh, they they have a three, three out of three a very big wells just on their border, not far from mm-hmm. the border. So now the market getting excited. You know, last time I think we talked it's like one point six. Today it's over two dollar. But mm-hmm. then, you know, when Pan Orient was drilling a few thousand barrel uh, wells, right? That was back to two thousand seven. The stock was trading at twenty dollar. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and then the other, all oh, the three wells they drill so far on the border is a thousand barrel per day, a barrel mm-hmm. equivalent. Okay, if you convert gas and into oil, it's equivalent. And over there, gas price very high, so actually you can use uh, those equivalent to calculate. But, and then consider if power can drill well similar on their border, that how much impact will to its stock. Yeah, mm-hmm. last time was a, was a fifteen twenty dollar. I remember vividly that was uh, uh, six years ago. <laughs> In your mind, Chen, what is the stock worth? In my mind, oh, it, I think it's right now it's still speculating, right? Mm-hmm. So if if Pioneer can drill the similar well that the other company drill on their border, which is on the two D seismic, it clearly extends to their border, and uh, stock can easily go to double digit. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, we'll All right. Well, it is speculative, and that we want to underscore as well. But uh, I know when you speculate, Chen, it's not a blind speculation. You do an awful lot of homework. A couple of others I might just mention uh, uh, that are still your favorites, I believe, marked resources. We don't really have time to comment on it, but this is one you picked up at $0.16, cents, uh, and it's selling, I don't know, dollar twenty-five or something like that now, paying a good dividend. How much of a dividend is it paying now, Chen? Yeah, it's paying about $0.20. Cents. Uh, per year. So all these uh, shareholders bought at 15 cents will probably already get like a 20, 30 cents back. That's incredible. That's incredible. And and I know you were pounding the table on this one and people weren't paying a lot of attention, but it's just another example. We want to tell our listeners that not everything Chen recommends goes up. A lot of things don't work out. Uh, we've highlighted a couple of the biggest winners, but I think one of the things you can be sure of is that you can't lose more than 100% of what you put into an investment, but as uh, just a couple of examples here show that you can make 10 times
times your money or more. And uh, and Chen does that often enough that um, I, I guess if you buy everything Chen buys, uh, you can uh, at at the price he buys it, you can make a lot of money. But in any event, I want to thank you, Chen, for uh, for coming on today. Harvest Natural Resources is another one. That's a, is that a gold stock, isn't it? No, no, no. It's an oil stock. Oil stock. That's an oil yeah. stock as yeah, well. Four seventy three, and uh, it's up a little bit to five dollars and nine cents, or something like that. Now, right, right. Went up since we discussed about that. Yes. And they're located. Where is their their projects? Uh, in uh, in Africa, in South America, in Asia. They they have uh, quite a few different uh, properties around. Okay, excellent. Well, that's just a that's just another example of of one that Chen likes a lot. So. Uh, thank you very much, Chen, for being with us again. I want to thank you. And, folks, uh, the name of his newsletter is What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? If your name is on the list, now's the time to uh, to sign up for Chen's letter. The, the window will close in a few days. So uh, if you have signed up, now's the time to go to miningstocks.com or call my assistant, Claudio Bassi, in New York at 718-457-1426 to sign up for What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Thank you very much, Chen, for being with us again. Thank you, Dave. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Alistair McLeod. Uh, he'll, he'll tell us uh, why he believes there's absolutely no way on God's little green earth that Bernanke can ever stop buying U.S. Treasuries or even reduce the purchase of U.S. Treasuries and government-backed uh, bonds. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine, operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. SGX Resources is an exploration gold company with multiple advanced exploration projects in the Timmins Gold Camp. Recent high-grade intersections at SGX's Tully Deposit include 14 meters at 20.1 grams per ton and 17.6 meters at 11.1 grams per ton. The deposit is currently more than 600 meters along strike with a depth of up to 250 meters and remains open in all directions. SGX Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange with the trading symbol SXR. Visit our website at www.sgxresources.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Alistair McLeod. Alistair runs the financial and economics, financeandeconomics.org. That's a website dedicated to sound money and demystifying finance and economics. And Alistair has a background as a stockbroker, a banker, an economist, and he is a senior fellow at the Gold Money Foundation. His weekly articles appear uh, for Gold Money, uh, and they are posted uh, at uh, alistairmcleod.blogspot.com. And uh, I highly recommend that you pay attention to what Alistair has to say. He brings with him a great deal of experience, uh, and he is uh, from an Austrian school persuasion, which is uh, is certainly what I believe is uh, most correctly reflects the way the world really is, not as some idealistic person might want to have it exist, but it, the way uh, you know, the rules that we uh, that nature requires us to play by. I think the Austrians uh, really have it right, and uh, Alistair is a student of Austrian economics. He's also a student. Of, of monetary economics. So welcome, Alistair. It's really good to have you again. It's nice to be back, Jay. Really good to have you, and you are there in London, I, or in England. I, I think I always assume you're in London. You're, you're somewhere in England anyway, I presume. Yes. Actually, it's in the West Country in Devon, which okay. is far nicer than London, but we get more rain. But anyway, that's uh, beside yeah. the by. Well, I would I would love to head up that way sometime, and, and uh, the only place I've been to is is London, I guess. But uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the Fed seemed to throw the markets a curveball when it announced that it would not taper or reduce its monetization of debt, and the stocks surged, oil, uh, all the commodities surged, gold, silver, everything just went straight up on the charts. You were not surprised by the Fed's decision, but the markets apparently apparently were judging by that by that sudden rise in valuations of all the of the asset prices. Um, hold on just a second. Uh, and um, I just said I had to get rid of that phone call. It came in here and forgot to take it off the line before I started the show. Anyway, why were you not surprised, Alistair? Um, uh, give us give us the uh, give us your thinking there. Okay, I think there were several important reasons. Um, firstly, there's the desire to keep interest rates down. Um, and uh, I think, that, you know, there are lots of things that flow from that. But secondly, also, the need to fund the government deficit. And thirdly, and probably most importantly, the need to maintain the accelerating rate of the production of new money. Mm-hmm. Now, that is that that is part of the interest rate story um, but if they slow down the production of money then we get a crunch and that's that's a problem it's a big big problem which is not very widely understood alistair you know i i believe uh that if there was not i believe i agree 100 percent with you what, what, what you just said if we didn't have this enormous amount of money creation and not only is it being created at a, at a rapid pace but the rate of change, the rate of creation of money is rising, I, I, if that's possible, actually. When I look at the chart of the, the monetary base, it's going straight up, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to see it could rise much faster than it is now over time. Yes, no, you're, 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 you're absolutely right. It's actually we, very scary looking at that. We are actually hyperinflating in terms of the monetary base already, are we not? Yes, um, I think I think one's got to look at it slightly more broadly than the monetary base, and um, really, with this in mind, um, you you've got uh, an established metric which is called true money supply, which mm-hmm. um, was put together by Joe Salerno, um, 
who was a, um, a well-known Austrian economist. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea basically was to capture the deposit side of uh, banks' balance sheets. And, uh, um, you know, it's not only deposits, but it was also cash. Now, I go one further than that because what I'm interested in is comparing, um, uh, if you like, sound money with unsound money. And mm-hmm. that boils down to gold compared with currency. Mm-hmm. So what we have to do is we have to retrace our steps whereby currency evolved out of being just a money substitute. By money substitute, I mean a token, um, a piece of paper that was actually physically backed by gold and was good as gold. Right. And that, that involves, um, uh, if you like, when it sort of originally started, uh, you'd go along and you'd deposit your gold in the bank, and the bank would either give you a credit in your account for that gold or they would give you uh, a note which um, was as good as gold, so long as the bank was trusted to hold that gold. Then the Fed was created in, uh, before the First World War, and, of course, the, the, the gold that was stored in, the, in, in your and my bank in America was moved into the Fed. So the government ended up owning the gold. So we have to unwind that complete process. So on top of true money supply, which is just looking at deposits uh, between, uh, if you like, non-banks and the banks themselves, you've got to look at the Fed, which actually acts as a bank for all the banks and depository institutions. Now, if you add all that in, you get a new um, measure, which uh, we've called the fiat money quantity. Mm-hmm. And that is hyperinflating. From the moment that the Lehman Brothers uh, went under and the Fed decided that uh, they had no option but to expand the quantity of money to try and rescue the system from failure, uh, the dollar, uh, measured by the um, uh, fiat money quantity, has been hyperinflating. So we are already in hyperinflation by that measure. This is a very, very important point because once you get into hyperinflation, it's very, very difficult to get out of it. If you're going to get out of it, you're going to break businesses, you're going to break banks, and you're going to stand back and let it happen. And I don't see the will to do that anywhere. So I'm afraid that once you start on this monetary hyperinflation, there is really only one outcome. I mean, well, you can sometimes maybe get another outcome, but you've got to be very, very frightened and determined in order to to do it. And We're not there yet. I mean, I think that you need a real crisis. You need prices falling very, very rapidly for someone to say, this cannot be allowed to continue and stop it. But we're nowhere near that, Jay. But we do have the seeds of hyperinflation. So you are believing that we're going to see hyperinflation and then we'll see some sort of a crash and a a plunging market uh, asset prices at some point? Well, uh, yeah. um, At the moment, I mean, if if we just talk about asset prices, um, Mm -hmm. because there's so many facets to this, uh, everybody I talk to tells me that the stock market is in a bubble, uh, property is in a bubble, uh, mm-hmm. you know, residential price, property prices are going up and so on and so forth. And in London here, I mean, it's just get, going crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, the bubble is money itself. It's not mm-hmm. the individual assets. Now, if you can stop the, 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 the money bubble, then all the other secondary bubbles, like property, stocks, um, bonds, whatever it is, uh, you know, they will also deflate. I see no sign of that happening. So what we could be seeing is the early stages of what um, was well described by an economist back in the 1730s called Cantillon, Richard Mm -hmm. Cantillon, 
who uh, was an economist who uh, was also a banker in France uh, at the time of the Mississippi bubble. And by mm-hmm. the way, got out of that as the richest, richest commoner in the world. But that's, that's, and that is a fascinating story. But Cantillon uh, uh, um, understood that when you get uh, new gold and silver coming into um, uh, the money supply, then prices start raising, rising at the point where the money is injected. Now, mm-hmm. if we take that lesson... The place where the money is being injected, of course, is in the financial centers like Wall Street, London, sure. and so on and so forth. So, I mean, anywhere around New York, guess what? Property prices, everything else. I mean, you know, if you want to hire a plumber or, or something like that, he's going to cost you. Why? Because all the money is there. And that money gradually leaks out into the economy. And what we're seeing with the property prices and the stock prices and so on and so forth is the first stage of, the, of Cantillon's uh, effect whereby money moves from purely financial activities into the economy. And so we are beginning to see that very, very early signal that uh, a broader inflation in prices is on its way. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly, yes, I can certainly, as one who lives in New York City, agree with you totally on that. And, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, Anthony Santelli, just recently moved from, from this area out to Ohio where he was able to buy a, a, what would be considered a mansion, a multi-million dollar house uh, in, in New York City, or you wouldn't even buy it in Manhattan, in, in Queens or upstate New York, even in uh, Westchester County, uh, for, you know, for less than a half a million dollars. And so uh, it is uh, definitely very profound and of course, the Wall Street and Washington, to a great extent, also love this, love this, uh, this game, this money printing game, because as you say, they are the ones that are the initial recipients of, of this newly created money that's created out of nothing. Absolutely. Uh, now, now, so we saw that Mr. Bernanke, you know, why do you think they were, they were planting the seeds? The propaganda was out there to try to keep people, to try to get people to believe there could be a tapering when, in fact, there you know, Bernanke had to see the same thing that you're talking about. Why do you think they were planting those seeds, uh, the propaganda seeds out there? Because they certainly had about half of Wall Street off balance on this thing, didn't they? Yeah. Well, we can only guess, but and, and my guess, and it is, it is a guess, is that um, the FOMC committee um, were getting really rather frightened of the problem that they created. They knew that unless they could back out of QE gracefully, then uh, they were committed to something which, um, you know, has only one logical outcome, outcome, and that is the destruction of the currency. Mm-hmm. And I think it was that that encouraged them to try and test the water and see, um, you know, given a few things going in their favor, I mean, the U.S. budget deficit, for example, mm-hmm. uh, has been falling. So you could argue that you could reduce the scale of um, uh, sales of U.S. treasuries uh, into, into the market. So, um, you know, the tapering could start with that, as it were, and the market wouldn't notice any difference. Mm-hmm. I, think they, I think they were absolutely horrified by the reaction in the markets, quite frankly, and not just in America, but um, it affected hot money flows everywhere, and mm-hmm. uh, emerging markets really got it in the neck. I mean, the Indian rupee fell right. very, very sharply, the Turkish lira fell very sharply, um, you know, all these currencies really got it in the neck. And I think that, you know, if I'd been on the FOMC and thought, thought well, let's see if we can get out of this, um, I think I would have been terrified by the result. And I think that's probably what actually happened. 
So they uh, sent the trial balloons out there, and when the markets reacted so sensitively, I mean so, so dramatically to just the mere suggestion that there might be some tapering that is, da- that is uh, data-dependent, uh, it set the markets in a, in a heck of a, uh, of a trauma, didn't it? I mean, it's, it's pretty yeah, incredible. It, exactly. It put them in a spin. But th- there is another effect, and if we go back to Mr. Cantillon, um, really the effect of uh, new money going into the economy, it drives up prices where it goes in. The mm-hmm. people who are disadvantaged are the vast majority of the population. So Absolutely. savers, people on fixed incomes, um, you know, workers in factories and things like that. Lowly people, um, or sorry, like, no, they're not lowly. I don't mean, don't mean in that sense, but people who have fairly menial jobs, which, mm-hmm. um, on which they subsist. Suddenly they find that, that the purchasing power of their salaries is going down. And that, of course, is what's happening. Uh, and uh, th- this, is, this is leading to a situation where um, the initial effect of this money going in is that a few people in Wall Street and you know, all the professionals <laughs> that serve them are very happy with the situation. But the vast bulk of the population are actually suffering initially from this um, because their wages aren't going up. Their, um, the interest on their savings has been going down. And furthermore, their savings are buying less. So you've got a sort of depressive effect. And I think, again, if you're, if you're um, at the Fed, you, you see the, the overall economy. You're not just looking at the 5% you know, who, who are doing very well in Washington and, and, uh, and New York. You're looking at the whole thing, and you're not seeing the sort of recovery that you're happy with being reflected in unemployment statistics, for example. And that's, that's why by moving over to unemployment statistics, it's actually a very, very big signal um, that they're moving away from pure inflation. Uh, they're going to be too late to deal with inflation. They're always too late to deal with price yeah. inflation anyway, but they're going to be even later this time around. So that, that I think, is a, is, is, is a real problem for them. So what happens now, Alistair, as the prices as prices start to rise more dramatically, and, and again, I believe that the middle class uh, is much more worse off than what the government's pretending. I believe, and I think you share this view, uh, that John Williams' uh, statistics in terms of what it costs to feed a family of four uh, from one year to the next is, is grossly understated uh, uh, by the government statistics. Do you share that view? Uh, yes, I do. And I think John has done some excellent work on uh, just reminding us uh, the effect of cumulative changes um, over the last 20 years in these statistics, which have had the effect of playing them down. I mean, the real rate of inflation, not only in America, but also over here in, in, in the UK, is considerably higher than stated. Um, uh, the, the, the statistics that come out of government in, in this respect are just really a total fiction. It's, it's got nothing to do with reality. And, of course, um, you know, this has other, other implications, because if you're going to deflate GDP, for example, by the correct amount, you know, we're still in a slump. And this is, this is a huge, great problem. Absolutely. Uh, John Williams points that out, that GDP, in fact, if you really deflate GDP by the real cost of living, of keeping alive, as opposed to these hedonic pricing uh, scams and so forth. I don't know if they're scams. That may be a little strong. But uh, the, the, the mechanisms that are used to make things look better than they really are for the average person, uh, that, uh, in fact, we haven't seen any growth, that we're still in a, re- a depression or recession uh, from the Lehman Brothers. But, but, but let me ask you, so what's going to happen here when price start to really accelerate and we know from history that if you get into a hyperinflationary mode it happens very very suddenly it's almost like a hockey stick isn't it Alistair 
Yes, um, I think that uh, we have to uh, dismiss from our minds uh, the quantity theory of money. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is that it is a rough approximation of what happens when gold and silver um, uh, or the quantity of, cha- of gold and silver changes uh, in, in an economy. But mm-hmm. when you come to uh, currencies, government currencies, there is no intrinsic value underwriting them whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Only mm-hmm. the full faith and credit, it's just that wonderful phrase, of the government <laughs> itself. Yeah. And so you can see that if that is questioned, um, first in the foreign exchange markets, and then secondly by the users of that currency, you can see that it has the potential to collapse very, very rapidly. So um, I, I think if you, if you can understand, or if your, your listeners can understand, that uh, you know, the quantity theory of money, forget it, it doesn't actually apply. Think Iceland. Mm-hmm. Um, when, they hit, when, when the crisis hit Iceland, the Icelandic krona literally halved overnight. And there was no change in the quantity of Icelandic krona. <laughs> you know, it can do that. And it can do yeah. it from the foreign exchanges. And uh, the, then where uh, the, 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 the uh, price rises, or if you like, the falling purchasing power of the currency really gets momentum, is if people begin to believe that it's money going down, not prices going up. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, very important point. And they, 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 oh. they found, uh, going back into the, if you, if you look at the history of uh, the Weimar Republic, it's probably uh, around about May uh, 1923 when the public at long last finally twigged that it was money going down, not prices going up. And then that sudden change in psychology results in an increase in the velocity of money. That is the turnover. People no longer have confidence, so they want to get rid of it as fast as they can and exchange it for things of value. Is that what happens? Yeah, I don't actually um, like the term velocity. I mean, basically what happened in the case of the Weimar Republic is that um, nobody would take a check. They would only take cash. Mm-hmm. So demand for cash uh, marks uh, increased very substantially, and uh, they had something like seven printing presses working 24 hours a day, seven days a week to satisfy the demand. Because mm-hmm. you would go in, you would write a check, take out the cash. Um, and that really governed the speed of the process of the collapse of the currency. Now, this time around, we've got credit cards. We don't ri- normally run around and go into the bank and withdraw huge wads of cash and go and spend it. In fact, I think there's almost a law against it in many countries. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so uh, what we do, basically, is we just do it off the credit card. So you can actually empty your bank account very, very quickly. And so this time around, if indeed what we're seeing is a rerun of 1923 in Germany, this time around it has the potential to be a whole lot quicker. But Alistair, the United States, the mighty United States with its military, um, it, it seems to me uh, not comparable to Iceland or even to Germany in 1923. Uh, it, it seems to me that we can send our military to almost any country around the world and say, you must use dollars to exchange your goods and services. As a matter of fact, Ellen Brown, who's been on the show, has pointed out that those countries we deem to be rogue countries are countries that will not play with our IMF and World Bank, do not accept the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency. Uh, And and isn't it possible that the United States might be able to, to stay on top, so to speak, with its military supremacy for some time to come? Or or do you think that uh, that day is drawing to an end as well? I think the world is changing. Um, 
10 years ago, 15 years ago, I think what you just said is, was very, very true. But now I don't think that um, uh, uh, America can walk into much of Asia and come up with that bully boy tactic. Um, I mean, I can't see the Chinese going with it at all. I can't see Russia going with it. I can't see the satellite states between them going, in, mm -hmm. going for it at all. Uh, we're now withdrawing from um, places like Afghanistan and, um, and Iraq and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and we're having to come to terms with, with even with Iran. So um, I think that the, the writ, if you like, of um, the U.S. military uh, is actually receding quite a lot on this. And I don't I mean, I know that I think something like 85 percent or 87 percent of international trade is settled in dollars. Um, I mean, it is so dominant in the field of international trade settlement. But uh, China uh, in particular and Russia through the Shanghai Cooperation Organization are building up alternative means of settlement. And they're very keen to do this because um, I don't know if your listeners know, but every time you do a dollar transaction anywhere in the world, it gets reflected back in your bank account in America or your bank's bank account in America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, and Chinese and Russians tend not to like that sort of control yeah. uh, over what they do, <laughs> which I can understand. I don't know why any of us would like that kind of control, but especially the, the Chinese and Russians, it's understandable. I think for us it's a fact of life, Jay, I'm afraid. I'm afraid it is. I, I wish it were not so. Um, so much more to talk to you about. There were six reasons why tapering was no surprise to you. You put it out at some point in time. And, and maybe just we have enough time to, to address the first one, perhaps very superficially. Uh, you said monetarists and therefore central bankers believe that rising bond yields and interest rates will strangle economic recovery. Do you believe that? Um, I, I, think, I think I have to put a slightly different version forward. The answer is no, I do not believe that in, under normal circumstances. The circumstances we have now are uh, a bit difficult to try and conduct experiments about rising mm -hmm. interest rates because if we raise interest rates, then there comes a point where quite a lot of people start going bankrupt, basically mm -hmm. because of the very high level of debt. Mm -hmm. And that is really the danger of raising interest rates. I mean, if we raised interest rates, we would cleanse the system of a whole load of mull investments. But the distortions in the economy from uh, government intervention have now built up to such a huge degree that nobody, and I repeat, nobody would really recommend following that route. Yeah, and um, so you're pretty, pretty convinced that uh, hyperinflation and hyperinflation of, of prices in general uh, is inevitable? Well, uh, when you get a hyperinflation of a money quantity, like the fiat money quantity, which, uh, which I've put together, yes. um, and bearing in mind that, I mean, even Milton Friedman said that uh, <laughs> there was a link between uh, the increasing quantity of money and eventually prices, um, that, and I would agree with that. I think, I think rather than the direct uh, monetary quantity theory of money, of, 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 um, money link between uh, the quantity of money and prices, what I would say is that the more we go down uh, the hyperinflating route of actual money, the greater the chance that we're going to um, create a crisis of confidence in the value of the paper currency itself. Well, it's uh, very disconcerting, no doubt about it. Uh, of course, not a new message to the listeners of this show, but uh, gold is where we've got to be. I guess gold and silver primarily, isn't it? 
Well, this is a fascinating thing because gold, I mean, today it's been hit. It's down something like $40. Um, yeah. And uh, there is no reason, really, no substantive reason why this should happen. The dollar itself is weak. When the dollar is weak, gold should at least be stable or maybe even a little bit better. But no, the dollar is weak and gold has been panned and nothing else has really been panned so far as I can see, I mean, other than silver. Um, so we've got a, a really an extraordinary situation. But if, if we go back to the time of the Lehman, uh, the Lehman crisis, um, just before that, the price of gold was $913 an ounce. I'm talking about the sort of close of play uh, in July 2008. Um, now, since then, we've obviously the nominal price has gone up as far as over 1900 and it's now back to a bit below 1300 but if you adjust that price for the excessive quantities of uh, fiat money quantity that have been produced over the period, guess what? Instead of gold going up, it's actually down in, mm -hmm. on an index basis below where it was uh, before the Lehman crisis. In other words, That's before incredible. anyone... Yeah, before anyone really knew that there was such a thing as systemic risk. I mean, uh, you and I had an inkling that there was systemic risk. Yes, yeah. we could sort of monitor things at the time. But the general public had no idea at all. And, dare I say, nor had the central bankers and nor had Wall Street itself. And then we had the, 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 the Lehman collapse. And what happens? Gold is now 30% below where it was before the Lehman collapse. Well, this is a topic for the uh, money. This is definitely a topic for another day, Alistair. I hope you can come back sometime soon. We need to we need to address that more. Find out what's going on in the gold markets. It makes no sense at all, uh, certainly to me and and to you as well. I'd like to get your thoughts, but we are out of time. So I want to thank you very much for being with us and uh, have you back again sometime in the near future. I hope. That's very much my pleasure, and I look forward to it, Jay. Thank you very much. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to be talking to Gene Epstein. He'll be discussing. Well, he's going to discuss David Stockman's appearance uh, this coming week at the New York City Junto. But more than that, his article, his cover article in Barron's this weekend, uh, titled Budget Disaster. So uh, stick around and hear what Gene has to say about, uh, about all this mess that our policymakers have gotten us into. Don't go away. I'll be right back. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property, a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Some things never go out of style. In the gold business for over 100 years, high-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at balmoralresources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol BALMF and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol BAR. <laughs> 